Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. So, um, we got some work to do today, so we're going to dive right in if you guys want to jump to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, this is part 6 of a series that we have been doing entitled Death to Life, where we have been walking through uh, what it looks like to be raised to new life in Christ. And so uh, we're actually wrapping this series up today. Next week, Pastor Victor is actually going to be kicking off a brand new series called Seven, leading up to Easter, where we are walking through the seven I am statements of Christ during the Lent season. And so uh, I'm just going to pray that God prepares our hearts for that. And, and uh, that, you know, I think oftentimes whenever we go into any major religious holidays, it's easy to be like, oh, it's just another Easter or just another Good Friday. But let's make this year different, especially because we didn't have it last year in person. Um, and so let's just start preparing our hearts for that now. But we'll be kicking that off next week. I'm excited about it. And uh, the last thing I have to say, and I'm really excited about this. Everyone say February 28th. February 28th. February 28th, we are kicking off a second service. And so I'm excited about that. said, uh, you can see him or Carissa, they're right up here on the front row holding hands. Um, <laughs> happy Valentine's Day, right? And so, um, they are they are a couple, so anyways, I, I totally did not mean. <laughs> Let's just move on, alright? I, I did not mean to embarrass you. That is not my, uh, that was not my point. You guys can rebuke me later. Alright, here we go. Um, have you ever considered how other people look at you or how other people perceive you as an individual? Have you ever, like, whenever you're walking around, uh, asked yourself this question of, like, what do, what do people think of me? Or let me just take it a little bit step further. Have you ever asked yourself, what is it that sets you apart from everyone else? In your workplace, in university, in school, have you ever just sat there and just been like, what is it that's going to make me distinct? What is it that's going to set me apart from everyone else? Um, being a pastor, I have an opportunity to go and uh, we pick up a lot of different guest speakers at the airport. I'll tell you now, Albany's airport is much, much, much smaller than JFK or Newark or LaGuardia. Um, and it's much easier to handle stuff. I think we've got like three terminals and each terminal has got like six gates. And so you just show up and you're through TSA in about 37 seconds and you're on your plane. It's super easy, unlike down in the city. Um, but whenever we go and pick up guest speakers who maybe we haven't met in person, I need some description of them. I need some description more than they're tall or they're short. 
Uh, um, and, and it's much, much harder now with face masks, right? Because you don't get to see all of their facial features, but you need some kind of description. And, and the reason I'm asking these questions is if people had to describe you as a person and what sets you apart from everyone else being a follower of Jesus Christ, what would people actually say about you? What would people say about you and how you respond, how you act? What I love about this text that we're going to dive into is it's really where the rubber meets the road of Christianity. It's where faith ends up becoming practice and it becomes very, very practical for us all. And, and it's written by the Apostle John, who I'm going to call today is Grandpa John. Grandpa John is roughly 80 to 90 years old, and he's writing one of three letters to the church in Ephesus under the leadership and direction of Timothy, um, who was Paul's pupil, and he was a really young guy. He was about 22 to 27, somewhere in that neighborhood, leading a church of around 25,000 people. And, and Grandpa John is writing, and as he's writing, he he's, keeps referring to the church as little children. And, and I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to sit in front of someone who's much older than you, but whenever you do that, and especially whenever they've got a lot of knowledge and wisdom and understanding, um, you just kind of sit there and you just be quiet, right? There's, there's a guy in, in Albany who we, they call him the Bishop of Albany, the Bishop of the Capital Region, and it's kind of a joke, but... Um, but he's been in ministry for 50 years. And whenever you get around this guy and you go have breakfast with him, you don't sit there and just talk a whole lot about your life and what God's doing in you and all this stuff. You be quiet and you listen. Because of the amount of wisdom that this individual may have. The, the amount of life experience alone that this person has. And, and so as we're diving into this text, I want you to think about it like this. This is the Apostle John, Grandpa John, 80 to 90 years old, not too far away from his death. And he knows that, and he's getting everything he can out on pen and paper to be able to leave for the church and leave for Timothy and leave for the church in Ephesus and ultimately leave for us here at Res Church on Valentine's Day. By the way, happy Valentine's Day to all the couples in here. And so, catch this as, as he starts out. I'm going to start in verse 11 of chapter 3. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so he starts out and he says, You've heard this message from the beginning, which then leads to this question, What is the beginning? What is the beginning? Is he talking about the beginning of creation? He's talking about the beginning of the Mosaic Covenant. Well, if you look at John's life, who's, again, 80, 90 years old, his beginning of being a Christ follower was whenever he actually started following Jesus Christ. It's the beginning of the church. And remember, the Apostle John was there whenever Jesus healed the sick. The Apostle John was there whenever Jesus raised the dead. The Apostle John was there whenever Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again. And the Apostle John was there whenever the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2 started. And so he's saying, I want you to remember what you've been taught from the beginning. The beginning of your faith. The beginning of the early church. Don't forget about the essential simplicity. 
that we learned in the beginning. Love one another. Love one another. Many theologians and historians say that the early church just kind of blew up during the first three centuries. The, the, the first century especially. If you think about it, how is it that Christianity got out of Rome? That's a huge question. Because they were persecuted, they were betrayed, they, were, they were, had all of their rights oppressed, and somehow it became the fastest growing religious movement in the world. And many theologians will agree on this one thing right here. The one thing that made the church so distinct and so attractive was their love for one another. That there was no other religious organization or religious institution or religious way that people would follow that was quite like the Christians, quite like people that followed the way because of the love that the brothers and sisters in the faith had for one another. And it became so attractive. And I just want to throw this out there. Um, I think that the most attractional thing about any individual that calls himself a Christian in any church should be their love for one another. I, I really believe that. That there's, it should be so genuine, so real, so agape. We'll get to that in just a minute. So agape that it literally attracts people saying, man, I don't understand this music stuff that they do. And, and, you know, sometimes people lift their hands and sometimes I hear stuff that I don't know what it is. I think they call it speaking in tongues. I don't quite get it. And other times you got some guy up here in skinny jeans who's yelling at me with the microphone. And I don't understand all of that. But man, the way that they love me when I walk in, I can't deny that. And so John is saying, I want you to remember what you learned from the beginning. A lot of times we pray for a fresh revelation and really we just need an illumination of what we already know. Amen. Good. We know how to love. We know how to love because Christ loved us. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. This is simply Grandpa John giving this as an example. The story of Cain and Abel was passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. Just like you might have a Valentine's Day tradition or a Christmas tradition or an Easter tradition that's been in your family for three or four or five centuries. It's the same thing. This is a traditional story that whenever people talked about Cain and Abel, everyone knew what they were talking about. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. What? Did you know that you being a Christian is anti-cultural? Like, and, and I'm just going to kind of go on a, a rant for just a minute. Because there's, there are these trends that pop up in the Christian culture. And I need, I need someone to say amen with this, all right? In just a second. Not yet. Not, get ready. Get ready. Not like, amen, amen. What do you say? Amen. You know? <laughs> there are some cultural trends that pop up within Christianity. And people try to adapt to these cultural trends to be cool or relevant. And this is why you see this almost an ecumenical movement of inclusion 
that now we're starting to see, oh, you don't just have to be a Christian. You can, you know, follow Hinduism. It all paths point to a creator, right? All paths. And, and what's happened with this is we've taken the truths that are in here and we've diluted it with a bunch of perversion that's out there so that we could be hip and cool. And with that, we are actually misleading people and preaching blasphemy from the pulpits in America. Amen. That was the good point to say amen. Amen. I would rather follow something that has been proven to be true, that has been proven to be factual, that has been proven to stand against persecution, against judgment, against death, against all of these laws, than to follow the next cool fad that pops up in the Christian movement or in any movement out there. I would rather follow the truth instead of the cultural trends that are out there that say, oh, you need to be this way and oh, you need to be that way. And I'm just going to go here and if I offend you guys, please just know that I love you all. Need to retract that statement, right? Like, you get to choose the sex. I literally know someone up in the capital region who was a minister who had got into talking about someone giving birth and how they were going to have a boy or a girl, and their literal response was, well, why are you already choosing the sex of the child? Why don't you let the child choose? And I'm like, how far are we going to go away from what Christ has taught us? How far are we going to go away from the scriptural truth of the Word of God? I Close 
you've just been like, this isn't me. And you've, you've you know, gone, give me another pair of jeans. You try them on, this isn't me. Like, I, I know that right now there's this baggy culture um, that is coming into the Gen Zers right now. And we worked really hard to get the skinny jean culture in, okay? And so I cannot go and start wearing jean toes again. I'm just throwing that out there. And some of you, yes, some of you that are from the 80s and 90s, you know exactly what jean toes are. The rest of you guys, just go Google it, all right? Um, but there are certain things that I wear, and I'm like, I like this. This feels like me. And there are certain things that I don't wear that when I do try them on, I just look in the mirror and I say, this is not me. There are moments in your life and in my life where we are clothed in the holiness and in the love of God, and we can walk in that, and that is us. And then there are moments where we start stepping into sin, or we start operating out of bitterness and anger, and in the middle of all of that, we realize this is not who I am. Grandpa John saying, hey, I want you to put on the clothes that Christ clothed you in. I want you to start wearing the fashion Jesus gave you. And it's not going to look like the world. If anything, the world is going to reject you. They may even hate you. But there's going to be something about you that you're wearing, that you're putting off to other people, that's going to be attractional. And my spirit's going to be in you. And it's going to be different. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John! Grandpa! You just got dark, dude! Yeah, but you, you, gotta, you gotta understand. Like, this is one of my last few documents that I'm gonna write to the church. You've got to understand. If we are not abiding in the love of God and that love of God being represented to other people by how we love people. If we operate from a place of hate, if we operate from a place of anger, if we operate from that, that place of unforgiveness, you are operating from a place of murderer. I don't think any murderer out there woke up and said, I'm just going to be a murderer whenever they were seven years old or eight years old or 15 years old. What it was is it was a seed of hate that was planted in their heart. And that seed of hate started growing more and more and more and more until that seed of hate eventually turned over to be a murderer. And what, what Grandpa John is saying right here is he's saying that seed of hate that you operate in sometimes, if you let that fester, you do not abide in him. You are not operating from the spirit of truth. You are operating from the prince of darkness. And the prince of darkness has no place in the kingdom of God. No place whatsoever. And, and I also kind of want to point out, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that there is no eternal life abiding in him. This sounds very similar to the words that Jesus said that John was there for. Whenever he says... You've heard that if someone hates you or if someone is your enemy, you shall do this in retaliation. But I tell you a new way. You shall love them. You shall pray for them. 
most like God when we operate from a place of love. We look most like Christ when we operate from a place of love. Verse, verse 16. By this we know love, that he, he being Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brother. And so John, again, Grandpa John, he's saying, hey, we know what love is because we've got the perfect example. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he loved us so incredibly much that he laid down his life on the cross for us so that we could experience the love of a heavenly father. And then he uses this word that in the Greek is an actual moral word. He says, and we ought, we ought to love one another, meaning that there is, there is action or we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And, and so church, here is the call of Christianity. Of Christianity. Jesus has done this for us, right? And so because of that, we should look at the people that are all around us and we should be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and for our sisters and for those who are in need and those who are hurting and those who are oppressed. If you want to know what love looks like, that is what love looks like because that's what Christ did for you. That's what Christ did for you. And, and I think oftentimes we hold on to anger, we hold on to bitterness, we hold on to unforgiveness. And I just want to kind of raise this question, why? Why? When Christ loved you whenever you shouldn't have been loved, when Christ extended grace to you when you shouldn't have had grace, when Christ ended up demonstrating this through the cross of Jesus Christ, when you should have been the one that should have been executed for your sins, what? And, and just do life loving the outcast. 
loving the oppressed, loving his own creation. Have you ever thought about this? John, looking upon Jesus on the cross, his Savior, his best friend, is on that cross. He sees this man hung up there, his back beaten, crown of thorns in his head, and he turns to his creation. Jesus turns to his creation, who just put him to death, or just executed, or ordered the execution, and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they this is Jesus. We talk about betrayal. Do you don't think Jesus was betrayed? He was hanging on that cross, betrayed by his own creation, by his closest friends, by the religious leaders. Betrayed. Father, forgive me. They know not what they John, who was not a grandpa at the time, is sitting over there, and he's seeing this incredible act of love and forgiveness being displayed in front of him. And so when he says these words in verse 16, you ought to love one another. You ought to be willing to lay down your life for your brother. He continues on in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against them. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I, I, think, I think we can just be honest with ourselves. Some of us, we chase materialism instead of chasing people who are eternal. We want to hold on to so much of what we have instead of looking at things from a kingdom perspective. I, I know that that's been the case with me in my life before. And, and sometimes we, we've got to check our hearts and look, if this is making you uncomfortable today, good. If you're wrestling with this, Michael, this sounds good, but I just, you don't understand and there's that conflict in your heart, good. Conflict creates growth. If there's no friction and there's no conflict, we are never going to grow. We have to be able and we have to be willing to wrestle with these things that Grandpa John and ultimately Jesus lays out before us. And that he calls us to. He calls us to this higher standard. I love what Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Uh, you can cross-reference it later. But, but it's talking about, uh, Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. He emptied himself. And then here we are invited to empty ourselves for the sake of those who are around us. And the reason being is because we've been raised from death to life. From death to life. Verses 19. Ruber's going to come out. And 
19 and 20, he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. That word reassure, another word that could be used in the Greek would be persuade. Sometimes we have to persuade our hearts yeah. based upon the truth. This is why, going back to cultural stuff, when our culture says, oh, just listen to your heart, just follow your heart, just do what your heart tells you to do. How does your heart feel about it? Man, your heart is wicked and deceptive yeah. and evil. Yeah. Don't listen to your heart. But let the truth of the Word of God persuade your heart until your heart aligns with His heart, with His truth, with His will, with His direction for your life and for my life and for all of our lives here in this place. And here's, here's the thing. Jesus wants you to go out and love people. Jesus wants you to go out and minister to people. Jesus wants you to do the work of the ministry wherever you go. But I think oftentimes what happens in our lives is we look for an opportunity to be able to love someone who's far from God, and then we say to ourselves, well, I just don't feel qualified today. Or I can't believe what I did last night. Or, or maybe you need to pick up the phone and you need to call that person in your family. And look, I really believe that there is someone in here that you need. This I've been praying about this all week and even this morning wrestling with it. If, if, you, if there's a family member who you need to forgive, man, you need to pick up the phone. You need to send them an email, a text, a tweet, a Snapchat, Marco Polo, whatever. And you need to get in touch with that person. And you need to offer an olive branch of forgiveness and need to repent to them. I genuinely feel like there's someone in here or downstairs who is listening to this, who that is your case. And, and, and when we do that, what's going to happen is your heart's going to tell you, you're not good enough. What are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. Like, I, I remember a few years ago, I had an opportunity. I've got several friends on staff at Elevation Church down there with Pastor Stephen Furtick and I was down there, and I'm on the front row, and he had just released his book, um, or he was releasing it that day, called Unqualified. Some of you guys maybe have, have read it. And as he's sitting there, he's preaching, and, you know, everyone's going, you, you know, they're getting nuts, which at his church, I'm telling you, man, it's like an exercise, especially if you're in the front, because you're sitting, and he says, like, Jesus, and everyone goes, woo, and starts standing, and then you go back to Seton, and, and, you know, you guys that have seen him online, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But then they go to the song Resurrecting, and they're singing, Resurrected King has resurrected me. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. And my heart started telling me, Michael, you are not good enough. Michael, you are worthless. Michael, I can't, do you remember what you did? Do you remember your past that you had? Michael, do you remember the, the issues you had over there? And my heart just started beating me up over and over and over and over and over. And in the middle of that moment right there, I had to sit there and I had to choose, am I going to my heart, or am I going to stand on the promises and the truth of God? Am I going to persuade my heart to get in line with the heart of my Heavenly Father? And the heart of my Heavenly Father so loved me that He sent His Son to die on that cross so that we can the righteousness of God. My Heavenly Father so loved me that not only did He die on the cross for 
And when your heart condemns you, know that God is so much greater. God is so much stronger. His mercy is new every day. Get in line with that. Get in line with that. First Corinthians 13, 7 says, love endures all things. Love endures all things. Proverbs 24, 6 says, a righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. Man, maybe you've fallen this week. It's time to get back up. Maybe you've fallen in the love category and you just are so frustrated with your family. It's time to get back up. Maybe you feel like you can't do it right now. It is time to get back up. Maybe you feel like the pandemic is just beating you down. It is time to get back up. Maybe you just feel like your whole life is falling apart. You've just lost your job. It is time to get back up. Well, Michael, I don't want to get back up. Look, I get it. I've been there too. But you've been raised from death to life because of Jesus Christ. And you still have got breath in your lungs. You've got purpose. You've got a plan that God has predestined for you. And it is time for you to start walking that and to start stepping into the fullness of God. My aunt's name is Ann Phyllis. That's such a southern name. She's from Mississippi. And then the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle John, he closes out. Let me just jump down to verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. By this, we know he abides in us by the Spirit whom yeah. He has given us. Yeah. You know, in John chapter 11, Mary and Martha are mourning the loss of Lazarus. Jesus shows up. In verse 35, says, shortest verse in the entire Bible, Jesus wept. But in verse 36, said the Jews saw Jesus' love for them, for Mary and for Martha. I believe Jesus wants to go after the person in this room this morning, not a problem. And in that moment right there, Jesus went after the person who was hurting Mary and Martha, not after the problem. That's a God way. That's love. If you're here today, you say, Michael, I just feel like I'm not there. And Jesus loves you. If you're downstairs watching and you feel like you've been beat up, Jesus is going after you, man. He loves you. He cares for you. If we get nothing else today, know that God loves us. And 
stand to your feet this morning? I finished on time today. It's good. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, or maybe you need to re-up your commitment to follow Jesus, I just want to invite you to a simple prayer. Just right where you are, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Let that wash over you. Isaiah 6.6 says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And his mercy is here right now. His mercy is here this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. Rupert's going to lead us in a song. The whole team is going to lead us in a song. We're going to worship for a moment. Just let his love wash over you today. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. I just ask that right now, you would speak to us. We would build our life, your love, your foundation. It's in your son's name. In the name above every other name, we pray. Amen. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.